thank you very much for joining us on Australia's Elite Sales Performers. 11.5 years with Salesforce, multiple promotions. You averaged 167% attainment across tenure, so over 10 years, which is pretty remarkable. By any standards, you'd be described as an elite seller um, here in Australia. So welcome. First of all, I wanted to kick off and ask you, could you tell us about your foundations or your upbringing that has led you to a performance-driven industry such as sales? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, all of us have our own callings. Uh, I appreciate you bringing me on to be considered an elite seller is uh, flattering. Uh, but I don't think there's a necessarily rocket science behind it. Um, I, I'd say some of my ethos here to understand the foundations um, are to know who I am and, and I guess my own success formula. Probably the biggest would be this concept of grit. Uh, I grew up uh, to immigrant parents and uh, a Dutch immigrant community. Um, my dad in particular was very industrious. I was always very proud of how hard he worked. Um, so he impressed on me that from a very young age. But the reality is, is in that community, it was just, uh, it was expected to work hard. And this one phrase stuck with me, the idea that nothing is entitled, everything is earned. So right from a very young age, I was like, I need to hustle to get where I want to, uh, where I want to be. Uh, second, I'd, I'd say uh, I'm a fairly competitive individual. Uh, I don't think I've necessarily got elite talent. Um, but between my grit and my drive, I feel like I can achieve anything I, I set out to. Um, above my headboard as a kid, actually, uh, I had my my name, Nicholas, but also the, the Greek meaning for it, which is a combination of Nike and Laos, which means uh, victory and people. So as a, as a little kid thinking like your name and your identity mean victory of the people, the concept of victory was uh, always a, a keen interest. So, I mean, whether it was like a deal, like winning the hearts and minds of people in the room um, or uh, or something else, like sales as a pursuit provided a lot of opportunities to win. And I'd say that the people part probably comes next as the third most essential of kind of who I am and what I feel has made me successful. Um, one of my chief values is, is connection. So it's like the idea of both being connected to people and then also connecting people. Um, I did a I did a personality test a few days ago um, from Ray Dalio uh, called Principles U, and it, it rated me as very high in uh, both enthusiasm or energy, but also in uh, um, extroversion. I think I was rated ninety seven percent in extroversion. I'm just really energized by being around other people, and I think extroverts and introverts can be equally successful. But for me, I try to build on that. So I've got a knack for building uh, instant rapport with people. Uh, and I also use sort of those skills of connection to network across an organization as best as possible. The last I'd say is probably less of a driver. Like I, I enjoy earning accolades, commissions, reward trips. I think um, all of us appreciate some level of recognition and approval. Um, but at the heart of some of that is money. And I think money can be a motivation for many. But I think it's very dangerous for that to be a primary motivation, especially when you don't see yourself earning good money in a, in the short term. Um, my faith is pretty foundational. There's a saying in my faith that money is the root of all evil. So take that for what you will, but I think it's very healthy to have other values uh, and sort of being tied to your identity to drive your success. <clears throat> wow, there's a lot to take in there. Yeah, thank you. Um, firstly, 
did you feel there was an expectation for you to be successful? From being young? It, was, it was just innate. Like my, honestly, my parents didn't really care what I did for my career. Uh, if I was a high achiever in school or I performed well at a track meet, it just wasn't valued as much as just putting the work in and b- behaving really well. Um, so it was just something that like me, myself, it was just part of my identity and something I've always had a hunger for. My sort of friends and family would all say like the idea of success for Nick has always been really important to him. And is sales a meritocracy? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. And it's not just like a meritocracy on uh, you put up good numbers. So you deserve a promotion or you deserve a raise. Absolutely. Top performers deserve to continue to be supported and promoted and move forward in their career. Um, but I believe the more important component is is behavior. So I think if someone has done something really well, and it's not doesn't have to be a large deal, but they've done it right and they set a good example for others and they're using that to sort of coach and lift others up, those are the people who deserve to be elevated. So I think there's, I mean, there's merit in the the actual quantitative achievement, but the qualitative stuff, which is sometimes harder to track, is even more important. The the monetary element often means freedom for um, people who chase it in sales, right? It can mean many things. It can mean material things. It can mean freedom. Could you talk us through, if you're happy to, your your faith and how that drives you? Is there a mantra that takes place alongside um, a monetary goal? And what does that look like? How, how does that help you in sales? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, if you look at money or finances as as an enabler, I think that's a, a healthy way to think about like what does earning money enable me to do? Uh, so, I mean, in in my faith, it's really important to be giving to be generous. So, if um, if if I'm out there and I'm able to like. Yeah, give it to charities. If I'm able to support family and friends who are maybe doing it a bit tougher, um, that's certainly something like Nick achieving at work can mean great things for his community. I always had a I always had a picture for myself of who I want to be in the future. And it was an identity of being a successful individual, but it wasn't like Nick having all these incredible uh sort of earthly possessions, a beautiful house, et cetera. But it was like Having a, having a strong family, being a respected individual in the community, and there was an air of like leadership and generosity that went into that. And certainly, like having a uh, having repeated success at work, earning well, um, having a stable career, working yourself to a senior position, I think are enablers for you to go out and do those things. Absolutely. And lastly, for this little segment we were talking to, it's really interesting the identity element. <clears throat> um, it's a massive enabler of success, right? The, the people I speak to often um, have a real high level of identity with the work that they do. Has there ever been a time in work where it's been really tough and you haven't been performing and how has your identity been affected in that scenario? Yeah, uh, great question. I think it's a hot topic for every salesperson because we experience in this in every one of our careers. Uh, I, I haven't met a salesperson or a sales leader who hasn't felt like an imposter at some point in their career. You've probably heard of imposter syndrome. I've got a friend back in Toronto um, who's actually built out a, a coaching career for those in sales, specifically around dealing with imposter syndrome. Um, so 
I think finding your identity and your purpose takes you far beyond what you might be experiencing in the short term. Um, gives you some motivation to look beyond. I so kind of talk about like looking to the the horizon or the hills to think of, of longer term goals. Um, but it's also really helpful to one have some reinforcement to encourage yourself, but have others around you to reinforce you to say um, to remind you of the skills that you have or the achievements that you've uh, reached. What's been really helpful for me is in these like kind of two categories of like get it done and do it right. I've had some really I've had some really good leaders who've been really helpful to celebrate when I'm doing it right. So if I focus on the behaviors, it helps me focus on what that's going to achieve in the future rather than just kind of being in a rut because I got some bad news or I'm going through a bad sort of month or uh, a quarter based on the numbers. Um, I mean, we're, we're in a tougher selling environment right now. So if I think if we focus on this kind of skills and behaviors and look kind of mid long term, it's it's certainly very helpful to kind of get out of that rut and think about sort of who you are, what you're capable of, who I guess who you're working towards being, um, because that that future identity has always been really uh, motivating to me. Because like might be doing it tough right now, but if I work on this stuff, I can achieve that, and I can be that person that I always dreamed of being. Nice, he's doing the work regardless of the outcome. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, so Salesforce has been a huge part of that career. Could you talk us through your career with Salesforce and perhaps? answer the question how important is working for the right firm 100 mm-hmm. uh so i'll start with the first right like i'm i'm really grateful for the the run i had at salesforce it was an amazing journey um it was 11 years starting in canada selling to very small businesses in new york and then um some small to medium-sized businesses around what we call the rust ring around boston to very different industries like startups growing at massive pace with VC funding and others who are multi-generational family businesses outside of outside of Boston. Um, the uh, They supported me to do um, a lot of volunteering. So I supported a volunteer organization to build schools and sort of access to education in different areas of the world, which brought me to Australia um, with that nonprofit. And while I was visiting, I got a job offer to move. Salesforce supported a relocation. Um, Salesforce supported um, multiple promotions over that 11-year journey. They moved me into leadership for the first time, and their leadership training is um, is phenomenal. They uh, they supported my wife and I when it was a bit tough to um, get around to having a baby. Um, so they provided some funding there, uh, and then they gave me a heap of time off just to experience being a new dad. So I'm like, wow, massively grateful for that. Um, we also spoke about this right in the early days about how working at Salesforce and sales is kind of like the sales MBA. So regardless of how you're performing in those kind of first 12 to 24 months, it's just an incredible environment to work with really good people, get really good sales training, sell a product that's validated. So you've got access to customers um, and they still have a lot of really talented, smart and um, driven people there. Uh, I mean, when you talk about working for the right firm, uh, I, I, take, I take this question into mind. Like, am I, am I learning? Am I earning? And am I having fun? And I think if you're like ticking two of those three boxes, you're 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 good. Nirvana is ticking all three boxes, and I feel like I've been really lucky to answer yes to all three of those for um, pretty much my entire tenure at um, at Salesforce. Um, and for those in the audience who are only ticking one box, you're probably a great candidate for 
um, yeah, looking for the next opportunity in that business or or outside of that business, talking to recruiters like John Joe here. Great plug. And uh, I was hoping to get to that actually. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> one thing I was going to ask is, is there such a thing as loyalty in software sales? Or is it um, a kind of a transaction that you just mentioned? So each party has some values that they want to get from each other. And there are three things there that you're looking to achieve. Two out three is great. Business also wants to achieve profit and revenue growth. Well, you're, I mean, it's, there's no easy answer to this, but is there such a thing as loyalty or is it a uh, transaction? Uh, I mean, absolutely. I, um, I, I think you can compare this to how we look at customer relationships. Do we, do we look at them as transactional or do we look longer term? Like, is it a, a marriage? I was talking to my team earlier this week about um, the, the foundations of trust and comparing that to a relationship like a, like a marriage. Right. So I really do feel like um, while it's not formally family and it's unhealthy to look at it as your family and maybe formally as as a marriage, I think it is really helpful when you look at it as a relationship with it, with multiple exchanges over time. And if you're giving fairly to each other, like I'm learning, I'm earning, I'm having fun, I'm going to be loyal to that organization as long as I believe I can tick two or three of those boxes. Mm. Right. The reality is, is we've gone through a period now where there's been a lot of layoffs in tech and it is just a job and my identity is is not my work. Um, but certainly there's an there's an element of being loyal and being committed to help you stay engaged and, and do your best work. So the answer is like maybe it's a bit situational and it depends, but I do find it's very, very helpful to think long term and stay committed um, still with the sort of asterisk that things can change in a flash. We're working in the tech industry. So don't hold on too tightly to things. There's other opportunities out there and you should be looking for opportunities to grow, to earn, to have fun. Um, but it's not healthy to, to constantly be looking. Yeah, good point. And <clears throat> your your career has been somewhat unique. We, we rarely see a decade with an organization. When you win a business like Salesforce, then it makes sense. You want to stay there and it's obviously great. You know, great relationship, but it is quite unique. And I was speaking with another elite performer on last uh, the last episode, um, Michael James from HubSpot, who's been there for eight years. Um, we were talking about how you might even consider it an, an um, almost a non-traditional route to reach the highest with one company. These mm-hmm. days, right, you usually need to move two or three years to get a bump in OTE and get a bump in career trajectory. What are your thoughts on career trajectory and whether you can make it happen with one firm versus moving around? I mean, Jodra, you and I were talking about like working with um, some of the big players in tech. Um, if if you can grow by moving within that organization, fantastic, right? And if they can support you to reach some of your aspirations, maybe you've got financial goals. Maybe those financial goals will help you reach some personal goals like building a family, and you feel secure in that environment, awesome, right? Like everyone's got their own um, motivations. At the same time, uh, there are some companies who can't support these longer term journeys. Um, and in certain environments, right? Like a lot of the Western economy or Westernized economy, um, 
there's there's just more movement within companies, uh, sort of outside of companies naturally. I've I've, all, I've really admired people who could build teams, uh, accelerate and be successful really fast, and basically hit ceilings really quickly, and as a result, need to move every two to three years. Uh, and I think like tactically, that can work really well. Um, it just comes with a trade-off. Um, I, I really value longevity. Like I worked in my family business from like at the age of four, I was I was hopping in a truck with dad to go deliver books and run sales. Uh, at 10, I started an actual sort of paid relationship. And I, I think I was there on and off until I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, uh, but when I think about the value of longevity in sales is you step into a new environment, you're given in a territory, it takes time to build pipeline. As you sort of move to more senior sales, larger transactions, um, like getting your first deal in with a customer, if they're if they're not using or consuming or haven't purchased yet, it could take six, 12, 18 months. And in many environments where we're selling more than one product, or maybe it's consumption-based, like at Databricks, there's 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 like a two to 10x sales opportunity that might sit in the next 12 to 36 months. And from my own experience, and if I look at the value of, of being tenured and staying with certain customers for a longer period of time or working in certain industries in an org for a period of time, like the results you can get over a longer term period can really accelerate. If you, if you, I mean, if uh, my LinkedIn profile's uh, still showing what it was sort of in between jobs, I think I'm, I still call out some results. You can actually look at like when Nick's moved into a new role or into a new region, what are his, what were his results like? It was kind of like had a couple of years that were sub 100%, had a couple of years that were like 150 to 200%, and then had a year at the sort of the third or fourth year in that role where I was doing like 240 or 360%, right? And I wouldn't have been able to achieve that if I built that for a few years. So that's just the trade-off, right? I, I might have grown more and gotten a higher OTE if I had moved out of those roles earlier. Um, but I made really conscious decisions about um, whether I would stay or I would go. And there's other personal stuff that rolls into that too, like trying to have a baby for a few years. Amazing. Um, and it sounds like you, you know, before it's situational, right? Each, each time, but perhaps thing, something we don't think about as much as you mentioned there is with a big firm with good resources and they take a longer, um, longer approach to return on investment can go in there and, you know, really learn some good skills and come good year two, year three, year four, as opposed to taking a bigger OT right away. And who knows, maybe it's a miss and that has a, you know, a more, um, difficult, um, effect on your career trajectory. So, um, sticking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously, it can be good sometimes. Yeah, I think I'll just add one thing to that, John. Just like the the value of working for the right leadership team. Mm. So when leadership changes, that has for me some of the biggest impact on culture. So you look one or two levels above you. Um, so if you've got an opportunity to move with a fantastic leader and you'll grow with them, and you know they'll have your back to learn and to and to earn, I I don't think there's near as much risk involved in that. Like, again, that sort of rolls into some of the leaders I've seen who are just, um, uh, yeah, just builders who've repeatedly gone out and over two to four years 
like built out regions or turn teams around. And those can be really, really great environments to grow in. Coaching has been something that's been really important to your own career with Salesforce and, and beyond. How important has that kind of environment or philosophy been for you in your own career? Yeah, um, really helpful. There's like kind of two sides to this. When I became a leader, uh, I I actually turned down one opportunity in Salesforce to move to Sydney and manage uh, a really great team in one of our best verticals in financial services. I turned that down so I could stay in Melbourne, which is our personal preference, uh, and step up to lead my own team. And that comes with its own challenges. I had some really talented people who were really driven on the team who uh, who were my mates. And managing your mates and changing that formal relationship has some impacts. Navigating that has um, yeah, some intricacies to navigate. Um, yeah, so as I made that change, Salesforce was really good at supporting me with a coach. They use a, they use a platform called BetterUp, really amazing um, coaching platform where I was matched with some really, really helpful coaches. And having those coaches to help me achieve some breakthroughs helped me see the value of coaches and also the value of maybe being more coach-like um, to my team. So hiring a coach and then finding other kind of coach-like people to play a role in my life, not like just a mentor or an advisor, but just people would ask good questions and help me sort of own my growth um, were essential. Like I think of hi- when, I, when I hired a coach, it was, um, I think it was like early on in COVID, COVID took a toll on a lot of people. I didn't have the same level of motivation I wasn't able to give to others as much. I wasn't as good at kind of bringing joy and connection to others. So, I, so when I noticed my, I wasn't kind of living my values, um, they helped me kind of get back to that point, being an external voice to help me refocus. Um, so that was really good. And, and I've engaged with BetterUp on, on a few different occasions. Um, but you go back, you look at my transition to becoming a leader. Uh, it was like all too easy to... Um, kind of step in and, and lead the team the way that I sold, expecting them to work um, my way. I was like, I was becoming too involved, maybe too directive, and I needed to be a lot more situational. Um, so uh, I saw an opportunity to invest in becoming a certified coach uh, myself. And um, that was a sort of two-year journey. And then I've taken on some coaching clients since. And what I've noticed is like, even the ability to aid people outside of my team was great. Uh, the workplace itself, I found I could achieve break, breakthroughs with them a lot faster. Um, and after a couple of years in coaching, if I just look at the results, um, the, the, my final period at Salesforce, we did like 360% as a team. And I had some really great people who stepped up to be A players. Um, and my coaching, I think, just helped uh, accelerate that a little more. Like independently, they're going to be successful. I think this just helped us achieve maybe a slight level level higher. Yeah, fantastic. Sales coaching seems to be, um, whether it's more in demand or it's spoken about more freely, it seems to be a consistent part of a lot of the reps I talk talk with each week and on this podcast. Um, they have a sales coach or have used one. A recent survey I put out, um, I think it was about 30% of respondents who didn't use a sales coach or had used a sales coach. What's the philosophy of a sales leader in terms of their reps using a sales coach, which might be outside of their 
oversight. And if I take a cynical view here, are there any scenarios where that can have some um, negative impacts in terms of your relationship with your leader? Uh, first thing that comes to mind there, John Joe, is um, read this read this book and went through a related training ca- called Multipliers. Uh, the author of the book is Liz Grossman. Um, she's a sort of a great thinker and thought leader. Um, what she publishes is really good for all leaders to consider. It's the idea of of identifying whether you multiply the talent of your people or you diminish the talent of your people. Like, are they going to be at their best or are you demotivating? Are they getting more disengaged through it? And um, uh, a leader I interfaced with a bit um, provided her interpretation of the book. And in summarizing that, one of the key points uh, she paraphrased was um, we should be building careers, not empires. So if this was going to help develop the individual, in role or out of role, that's good for them. It should be good for me. I'm not here to just kind of keep people within my my own pyramid forever, right? Um, so I don't see a lot of downside to it. I mean, yeah, there's a bit of risk that they um, that they realize they need change, but people realizing they need change is is probably a good thing because that's going to come out naturally or unnaturally, anyways. Uh, I've had people leave my sales organizations in the past i led for five years um on their own but we had pretty progressive conversations to realize that maybe this wasn't the perfect environment or the perfect role and them getting some coaching was really helpful my 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 top performer last year to kick off the year um hired a coach just on his own and that was essential for him to go from uh sort of a new addition to the team new to salesforce just ramping up to be somebody who was really like a mentor and an example to, to others around him. So I, I really, I can't speak highly enough of it. I think everyone listening in should be thinking about having a sales coach. I think every sales leader should be thinking about how they can be more coach-like. And I think everyone who's got a sales manager should be um, maybe actively looking to encourage their leader to be more coach-like. It's just like, especially in this environment, let's say we're not hitting numbers or things are really tough. Uh, we've got big targets for the year. Um, it's very easy to get sort of operational and focused on the number. It was way too easy for me to be very operational in my one-on-ones. Um, so if you don't, this is for the listeners, if you don't have a like a monthly one-on-one with your leader that's more developmental, where you can have real coaching conversations, I'd encourage you to add it. If you don't have what you describe as a feedback culture in your business, I'd Get to understand um, models like SBI, situation behavior impact, things like that to find effective ways to kind of naturally lead this into conversations and uh, and look for that. But not it's if, it, if this is all about growth and development, I don't see how that investment could be a bad thing in any sense. Absolutely, and and those are the growth mindset you, you'd expect that that of course we know issues and there's um they put their ego to side, right? But I do. Um, I just wonder, yeah, well, that could be the case sometimes. And with that in mind, um, where where is the the first place uh, an aspiring rep should look, or an experienced rep should look for coaching? Um, there's probably a lot of options out there, right? How do you go and go through that qualification as to who you might work with? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, probably think about two channels. So the uh, number of thought leaders on LinkedIn who aren't just like doing this for narcissistic reasons to build brands and, and get more followers. 
but who are actually putting really good content out there is is growing and it's much easier to find them. So I think getting stuck into these different kind of communities, tribes, whatever you want to call them, follow some of these different thought leaders. Maybe they focus on um, how to uplift the sort of business development community, whether you're like an SDR, BDR, et cetera. Um, it's helpful when it's a bit more specialized. Maybe you're an enterprise rep. So finding those who who maybe focus more on enterprise sales and implement. I think first, just kind of get stuck into that, get yourself exposed to more of the content. And then you'll find there's different um, individuals who do like broad enablement, team enablement, company enablement, which are great, good content. And then others who've got coaching programs where you can kind of join that are like one-to-many um, and maybe have some one-to-one options as well. Um, I mean, at, at Salesforce, there's a couple ex-Salesforce individuals who I found produced really good content and I've continued to follow them for years. Um, there's someone by the name of David Premier. He, he writes a really easy book called Sell the Way You Buy. And I think for every seller, it's super relevant, quick read, pick it up on, on Amazon. Uh, and I've seen somebody else kind of shift from being a, an elite seller at Salesforce to build out his own sales training program. His name's uh, Ian Koniak, uh, K-O-N. Right, just done a really good job building a great brand, but yeah. is he provides really concise lessons, and you don't need to pay for his content. But if you decide I want to take this further, then take that step and go into the one-on-one. Um, the sales coaching community in Australia is very much growing. There's more people who've come on market given some of the sort of changes and and changes in um, in tech via layoffs more recently. Mm-hmm. Got a good. Dan Bartels, who just started up a sales coaching business with Simon Peterson. Yeah. So check out Dan and Simon. Yeah. They're great. Um, but no, it's like find like find that community that works for you, follow the content, get an idea for how these people kind of lead, enable, coach, um, and then test the waters. Find someone who's a good personality match for you. Um, don't just settle on a coach that um, plays nice. Look for someone who's going to kind of challenge and push you and ask you the tough questions as well. Great advice. Life after Salesforce, a new chapter beckons you, Selvnik, and you join another A-grade organization, Databricks. Tell us about the the thought process around the move and what that looks like now. Sure. I, I, I asked those three questions earlier, like, are you learning? Are you earning? Are you having fun? Um as I was on market talking to some uh, tech players, uh, my focus was on getting into like a tier one SaaS organization where I would um, sort of focus on a few facets, which I'll, I'll speak to. Um, but I, I actually positioned the idea of that really clear to, clearly to them. So they knew what I was looking for and they could sort of match the role and the opportunity and, and sell it to me all, along those lines. And Databricks, like, ticked all those boxes easily, easily. Um, I think from a learning perspective, I learn really well because I'm competitive and I like to connect with others just by being surrounded by really top talent. Um, If you look at your networks and you look at people who've moved to Databricks uh, recently, it's just like a lot of people who have awesome sales track records. Um, I've got two teammates who moved over to join the team in Melbourne or absolute legends, really strong reputations, but both of them were leading teams for a while and, and stepped back into IC roles. Uh, and then uh, my leader is a first-time leader, but he's like an extremely intelligent, extremely uh, extremely driven individual. And and I knew like we're a good match, and I'm going to learn heaps from him. 
So yeah, just like finding people you respect and you learn from is really good. That environment. <clears throat> so they talk about you being a product of your environment or like your five closest friends. Right. The same concept applies here. I also saw that like spending time at Salesforce, like choosing Salesforce was because I was attracted to work in like cloud tech. They were in, they were a pioneer in, in SaaS when I joined them, you know, it's almost 12 years ago now. And uh, that was great learning the domain of CX. So kind of moving where the, we say in, in hockey, like going to where the puck is going uh, is smart. And, and there's been a lot of growth and a lot of opportunity in the data and AI space. Naturally, with all the buzz around generative AI, large language models, open AI, um, AI has become even bigger. This idea of gen AI is a big thing now. Um, and for a few years, I knew that data and AI would be my next destination. So I'm just trying to go to where the customers are going. And I, Databricks were the clear leader there when it came to like not just working with big data, but driving outcomes around like predictive uh, machine learning, data science, and AI um, just more generally. And I think I'd say the last one is I joined Salesforce um, at the start of 2012, right? So they were many years beyond an IPO. Um, and they were a slightly larger and more mature organization when I joined. Um, they're like they're now a major enterprise, and um, my opportunity to learn I thought might be good in a in a that smaller business environment. Databricks is pre-IPO, so lots of upside there, lots of growth, and moving really really fast. I, I grew up in a family business too, so like just. Being in a slightly younger company, the, the company stage and, and size um, felt right. Fantastic. And and learnings has been a, a fairly consistent concept throughout our chat. Perhaps you could talk us through your biggest learnings to date if, um, if you could uh, boil them down. Yeah, for sure. Um, probably the, mo the most foundational is just the, the concept and the value of trust. Um, my, uh, my father-in-law is a professor at the university of Toronto and he teaches international business for engineers. So he's always looking to bring international perspectives and some of these engineers are looking to get into tech. So he, he brings me in as a guest lecturer every term and I teach them a lesson on sales, but the foundation of that is, is just trust. Um, so I like to look at trust along two, um, sort of two lines to axes maybe like personal trust and professional trust. Um, there's uh, some interesting content I, I can share uh, afterwards. Uh, I mentioned this maybe a bit later on, um, but I found that like the idea of trust is heavily influenced by how self-oriented we are. Um, I find it's really helpful if I want to build trust to understand, understand someone's motivators and what their values are. Um, it just kind of takes a relationship further faster. Um, I'll give you an example. Like I had a, I had a manager who I learned through a personality test indexed very high on the idea of formality, like be on time or early, follow structures, like stick to order. Um, so doing something like paying really close attention to my timeliness had a massive impact on our relationship. He's now one of my best mates. He works in, in tech in the, uh, in the area as well. So it's really interesting, like as you look to build trust, paying really close attention to like other people's styles, motivators, values, et cetera. Uh, I probably say this the most seminal 
teacher and author I've learned from is uh, is Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits, and I think they're applicable across all areas of life. Um, but given what I, I spoke about before, like my obsession with like winning, um, the idea of like think win-win was pretty big for me. And specifically, a lesson was like, I need to be better at communicating intent for how I was going to help other people win because it was, it was maybe too clear that I wanted to win. So, um, like it, like others could be, could feel threatened by that. Um, like ensuring people win and they, they know that I'm there to help them win. Like we celebrate their win, et cetera, like helps bring them on the journey rather than alienate people. And that can happen with immediate teammates, extended team members can happen with specific people within your customer base. Another, another, uh, Kobe lesson is uh, he talks about the spheres of, uh, influence. So like focus on what you can control most, most immediately. And then, and then look at what you can influence and anything beyond that in that sort of external environment, like don't get hung up on that. Um, so it's just like great foundational teaching. Um, so when I look at that, a big learning, this was a few years ago. Um, I had a leader who I wasn't clicking like just perfectly with. And, um, I was probably more focused on what they were doing and what they were saying and how that needed to change. I went on this great little vacation in Spain with my wife where I had this epiphany that if I wanted that to change, the easiest thing to change would actually be to change myself. So I was really intentional about my nonverbals with that individual, how I spoke about that individual with, with others, not directly with them. And like, almost instantly there was like a 180 turn in that convert in that um, relationship. Like we had a conversation about feedback where we finished it um, in tears and uh, like happy tears, uh, which was, which was really great. Um, but yeah, I could go on. It's um, I think like sales because we're also motivated. It pushes as possible. The, the internal one you mentioned, I think it's um, a massive one that perhaps sales coaching and um, popular rhetoric doesn't really cover too much, but being able to have really strong um, internal relationships tends, tends to, I find from these conversations, tends to be so important, almost pivotal. Um, and I think we, we tend to presume that EQ or social awareness is just something that you're born with and you, know, mm -hmm. you can read a room or you can't. But it sounds like there's a lot of work you can actually be doing there to improve your ability to improve your social relationships and your internal relationships and the effect that can have on your happiness for performance is pretty profound by the sound of it. Nice. How do you define success? Uh, yeah, that definition has changed a little bit over my life. Um, like as, as a kid, I was, uh, I was trading. Like success for me was being able to earn my own money and be independent. So I was like, I was an eight-year-old trading pogs and beanie babies and Pokemon cards to get ahead. Um, uh, as I moved into professional sales, uh, I had this picture of success, but I realized I, I needed to look at it on multiple lenses and I needed to shift away from um, just my own success. Um, so I, I actually order it uh, this way. Um, sort of company, customer, and myself. So from a company's view, success is like, am I, am I helping them achieve their goals? Like, how will this actually help them be successful? 
um, that will also fuel my success as sort of a sort of a reaction or, or secondary to that. From a customer's perspective, like success is, um, I mean, are they going to get value from that? Are they going to adopt this? Will the individual like grow their career? Will this set them up for promotion? Will this give them a stronger reputation? So um, it's kind of divide, defined along that lens. And then, and then personally, like, and I, I think it's fairly simple, right? Like success for me is, am I achieving my goals? Like I've got a goal of financial security for my family. So is, is this going to help me be financially secure? Like I spoke about things I believe in, right? Like, does this enable me to have an excess to give to other people? I've got this picture in my mind of uh, being sort of like, uh, hand in hand with my wife, standing on the back deck of our brick house, looking into a forest with our our dogs and our kids playing around back, and me being the sort of man in the community. So success for me is like, is what I'm doing today helping me achieve that sort of future identity. And is that do you use visualization? That's something you actually visualize and think about. Yeah, I found that I found that really helpful, and it's and it's really simple. I mean, you could subscribe to. Uh, meditation or hire others to sort of walk you through these things. Um, but I, I think simply like at the beginning of a, of a sales period, like just closing your eyes and thinking about what success would look like at the end of that period or what success looks like five years down the road can be a really helpful way to sort of recenter yourself um, and think forward. And last couple of questions, quick fire round here. Um, and these are really ones for our listeners that you might be able to use um, actionable tips. So what can reps do right now to level up their careers? Nick? Yeah, sure. I, I put some thought into this one. Um, just because trust is so central to how effective we are as salespeople. Um, and I'll try to provide some practical ways to, to act on this. Um, I'd say number one, um, assess how trustworthy you are. And then based on that, look for where you can improve that. Um, so I want you to speaking directly to the audience, like I want you to pick one of your most valuable relationships. Uh, I, I want you to look up the trust equation by David Meister. Uh, I'll drop the link in the, uh, in the comments for the post. Um, so I want you to pick one of your most valuable relationships. I want you to rate yourself for each of those elements on this equation that it provides you. Uh, and I want to see how highly you rank and where some of your sort of lower ratings are. That'll tell you pretty clearly where you need to in invest more. Um, and then I want you to repeat that. So maybe like start with a personal relationship. Then I want you to repeat that for like a customer or a prospect relationship. Um, and, and think about like... Yeah, what it might be like for them looking at you for how trustworthy you are. So I'll share that one. Second, find it really, really helpful to um, find a find a benchmark, like an individual who can be a mentor along your journey, like someone you kind of look to and you can kind of work towards achieving what they have or being like them, be like Mike. Um, so maybe like an experienced seller who you really respect and want to live up to. I'll give you an example. When I was working at Salesforce in Toronto, there was a sales legend who we called Ryro. Everyone looked up to him. I really loved his ability to teach. Um, like his, I liked his casual nature. I liked his theories in sales, like the idea of being a process consultant. Uh, and I, I loved that he was a winner, naturally. 
so his style was a really good fit for me. He made himself really available to me. Um, I'd, I'd hit him up. We'd hop on a whiteboard and workshop key deals. We'd hop on a whiteboard actually to um, work through um, some decisions around my career, which is really good. Uh, so that's number two. The third, um, I'd say find someone who you could see as like an accountability partner. So maybe another seller who's around your career stage. Maybe they joined the company recently. Maybe they're promoted recently. Maybe they work for another company, but they're they're like around your level. Um, and I'd say together with that partner, push each other to grow faster and learn from each other. Make sure like you build that into a friendship. So there's just a lot that just of natural connection that happens. You guys have high frequency of interactions. You can just like get together, set up a call and just like talk shop. Like one of my best mates at his wedding um, uh, just last year, started at Salesforce around the same time as me. He's like a brother to me. And it was really great like and really fun just to kind of push each other. Because we're competitive and we're winners, we're like, naturally, we're going to always want to beat each other too. I was, that was going to be my next point. I'm sure whoever you picked to be uh, your own accountability partner better be somebody competitive or they're probably going to have a rough time. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this this individual is an absolute machine. So he's, he's tough to keep up with. And finally, daily routine. What does that look like for yourself as an elite performer? Sure. Um, I think some people paint a picture of like needing to be like extraordinary with your routines. Um and I'm sure there's like there's really great uh, results if you want to be like a cold plunger. That's just not me. I'm not not up at 4 a.m. doing a workout or a cold plunge. Um, but starting your day early certainly is really helpful. Um, personally, I find having a decent cadence of physical activity, like cardio, social sports, it's really good to keep my mind sharp. So I think that's sort of a no-brainer. But um, your physical activity. <clears throat> That sort of motion, I think, can help manage your emotions as well. Uh, I, um, like I said, like my Christian faith is really important to me. Um, I think meditation is really important. So for me, what meditation looks like is is time in prayer or time in devotion. So like when I'm really connected spiritually, I'm probably the best version of me for my family, for my team, for my customers, because naturally, like at the heart of what we believe is to be selfless. And sales can draw you towards, I don't know, very selfish pursuits around like kind of like ego earnings, whatever that might be. Then I, I don't know, like having routines, like like finishing the day, like bath, bath time with my one-year-old, having a dinner with my wife, like so I can sort of unload on the hardships of the day and she could sort of lean anything on me. Um, so little traditions to kind of break the day off so you're not always on. Um, and then just having a bit of downtime. So. And nothing genius there, um, but certainly just making sure I'm not always on and I've got time to rest and reset is really, really good. We try to respect our weekends a lot as a result too. Yeah, that's really nice. And I, I think a big thing to come out of that, um, speaking to somebody like yourself, is what's evident there is that the elite performance is sustainable, right? So mm -hmm. you've proven you've done it over 10 years and you've, you've, been, you've been able to find, uh, marry a way of being an elite performer competitive but not get burnt out by the mm -hmm. the um the trappings that can come from elite performance in any pursuit right so you've managed to marry those together for a uh some longevity so 100 percent. i mean there, there's there's people are different animals they've got different motivations there's some really successful entrepreneurs and 
competitive athletes who've got next level routines, which I'm sure are, are worth trying, but really to each their own. I, I think I've, I've had a great run. I expect I'll continue to have a great run, but I, I certainly in, enjoy my life and feel like I've got a, a good balance. Absolutely. And you've been really generous with uh, your wisdom and experiences. So yeah, thank you for um, sharing it. Really appreciate it. It's been great to chat to you. Thank you, John.